there is another dimension beyond that which is known to the business professional. It is a dimension not only of requirements, but of analysis. It is the middle ground between success and failure, between methodologies and beliefs, and it lies between the valley of an organization's fears and the peak of its ability. This is the dimension of project potential. It is an area which we call business analysis. In this world of business analysis, we walk the fine line between project success and failure. This is episode six. I still can't believe we've got this far of the BA Horror Stories. My name is David Manica, and I'm the president of ASPE Training. Believe it or not, we hired back Rob Snowden. So today we have Rob Snowden, that seasoned and salty BA professional, with us. And we're going to talk about horror stories and think about the issues around business analysis and agile environments. Hey, Rob, do you want to say good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on when they're listening? Well, just hello to everybody. It's great to be back, although I didn't even know I was gone. Yeah, he didn't realize he got fired, but um, then he negotiated a new salary. Good. Before he was paying me, but now I have to pay him a little bit. Life is good. That's right. Excellent. So here we go. In podcast four, for those of you that actually follow the series, which is about three of you, we discussed BA horror stories around BA planning and estimating, and then we intertwined it very coolly, if that's a word, with the characters and the themes of the horror movie Jaws. Dun, 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 dun. Rob and I had a good time with that. We thought it was fun. So we decided to do something very similar, and we're going to wrap an interesting movie horror story around business analysis and agile projects. But the problem was that Rob hadn't seen this movie that we're talking about in a long time, which I could not believe. I'm like, he said, he, what, when's the last time you saw it before you watched it on TiVo or not TiVo, whatever that Netflix stuff is? Oh, decades ago, decades. Decades. Man, you should watch this movie at least once or twice a year. Okay. So what we're thinking about is a lot of SDLC professionals consider Agile to be a slow process into madness. So what better horror movie to pick than The Shining? So yes, we're going to do The Shining. As the main character, Jack Torrance, makes that slow and very deliberate path to madness in the movie. I feel like Jack every day of my life, to be honest with you. So just like we did with Jaws, we're going to lay out the stage. So here's the stage, here's the characters. We have Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, of course, the father and frustrated writer. Remember, he was a very frustrated writer. We have Wendy, Wendy Torrance, that loving and devoted wife and mother, doing whatever she can to get her husband back on track, played by the woman who did olive oil in the Popeye movie with Robin Williams. Then you have Danny, the young boy, Danny Torrance. He was the strange son, and he had that gift of the shining. Then we get to the creepier people. We have Lloyd, that ghostly bartender. We have Dilbert Grady, who's the butler, the ghostly butler, who kind of pushes Jack off the rails. We have the inn manager or owner, Stuart Altman, who provides that warning to Jack about what has happened in the past. And finally... My favorite character in the movie, Dick Holleran, played by that wonderful, wonderful voiced actor, Scatman Carruthers, who I believe is no longer with us. And for those of you who are into very cool trivia and history, 
Scatman was also the voice of the fabled comic superhero Hong Kong Fooey. Rob, did you know that? Did you ever watch Hong Kong Fooey? Uh, yes, but I didn't know that. But I always thought the name Scatman Crothers just sounded like such a cool name. It is. I mean, it's so hip, so cool, and his voice is yeah. so with it as well. And, of yeah. course, Dick Holleran had The Shining as well. And him and Danny used to do that, um, like, you know, that crazy ESP-type talk in the movie. So, the plot. The plot is basically very simple. The hotel is filled with ghosts. Filled to the gills with ghosts. There was murders and fires in the past. And, of course, what horror movie around a building doesn't have the old built-on-a-Native-American burial ground? Gotta have that. Jack and family go to take care of it when it's closed for the winter. Isolated and trapped. Danny, of course, feels the crazy energy of the place. Jack slowly goes crazy, chases the family around with an axe. Wife is basically in denial. Family can't get out. Family does get out, and Jack is transformed into part of the hotel. Sounds like how some SDLC professionals feel when they're in the midst of an agile transformation. Anything you want to add to that plot, Rob, before you start talking? No, it sounds good. Okay, so question number one. I can see Dilbert Grady. Grady is the ghostly butler as a product owner in some ways, with Jack being the BA. And Grady is pushing deep, is getting, is pushing Jack deeper and deeper into the mire. This shows a kind of convoluted product owner BA relationship. How have you seen the BA and the product owner work together on projects? Is there a horror side to it or is there a good side? Roberto. Okay. So in, in, Various organizations, especially even here in Richmond, there was a big shift. Um, Often the um, BA can become a product owner. And because of them working a lot with a particular business unit, that would be a natural fit. Um, So if the BA is the product owner, that's one thing. But if you're not the product uh, owner, but there's a, a lot of overlapping knowledge because the BA has worked with that particular business unit, and they work in harmony, then that's great because they can bounce ideas off each other, of course, and collaborate. But on the other side of that, if the uh, product owner is, let's say, trying to take the lead too much and telling the BA how to do their job, and what to do, then that can be a problem, obviously. It's, it's not so it – makes it, it makes it worse if the BA is already very knowledgeable of the business area. So there's a tension there. If we look at the the movie, um, Grady is um, influencing Jack. He seems to be helping him, but not really. He's uh, actually telling him what to do. There's a scene in the movie when they're in the bathroom, and Grady had accidentally, or maybe on purpose, of course, spilled (laughs) drinks on Jack's coat. And so he goes into the bathroom to help wipe it off, so he's being really nice to him. But then Jack says, weren't you the caretaker of this place when he murdered his own family? And Grady says, you've always been the caretaker and I've always been here. So in an odd way, a BA who has been working with the business unit for a long time is a caretaker, taking care of the business, ensuring their needs are met. You know, quote unquote, has always been the caretaker. But it's the very lack of harmony in their relationship in the movie that causes all the mayhem. So focusing on the working relationship from the get-go is the key. That's pretty interesting. And 
You know, a lot of times, Rob, I hear things like um, product owner proxy, where the BA becomes the product owner, but they might not necessarily have the power of a product owner, and they might not even be able to find the product owner in the environment. I mean, have you ever run into a situation, you know, going outside the movie theme, have you ever run into a situation where you see an agile product, a pr- agile project not have a, pro- have a product owner, and the BA is forced to do some things? Well, yes, someone's got to step into that role. I mean, the idea with Agile is the most likely person who has the particular skills or knowledge should step into that role. Of course, it's better to have somebody from the business or somebody who's got a lot of business knowledge to do that. So, yeah, the first choice would be let the BA write the user stories and do other things on the project. Let the PO, product owner, be the source of the information. But someone's got to do it, so then... If there is not a product owner, then the BA has to step in. And make sure the product owner doesn't push you over into madness. Correct. Very important. Okay. Question number two. Agile is about responding to change. Sometimes people can always see the change or get proper feedback. Wife Wendy was in continual denial. That's probably one of the most annoying things about the movie. It's like, hey, wake up. The writing's on the wall, woman. Can't you see it? Right. Specifically, the writing's on the wall with regard to red rum. Red rum, red rum, red rum. But, you know, ultimately she finally figures it out when she has Jack beaten down the door and she sees red rum through the mirror and it's murder. Red rum, red rum. Then, of course, the best line ever, ever in the movie, besides we're going to need a bigger boat, was Jack Nicholson's, Here's Johnny! when he's chopping down the wall. So how can a BA within an Agile project where they don't necessarily have a product owner, like we talked about, communicating about changes, how can they um, get their voice in the backlog, how they get their voice about changes or whether change is actually going to work or not? Since traditionally BAs have a close relationship with users and understand their needs, they, they will have a feel for those changes and what changes will help and what won't. Well, like you said, of course it's a play on words, handwriting on the wall. It was really kind of handwriting on the door, but <laughs> when she saw that red rum was murder spelled backwards, just as EMS, emergency medical services, is SME backwards. So is it the SMEs to the rescue? In a way, yeah. SME, SME. So the BA needs to continually focus on value to the business and work in harmony with the PO and, and of course, the team to help everybody focus on what will provide the most value to the business. So with a BA with lots of knowledge can be a super advocate for the business if they can do it in a way that where the BA is seen as a valued partner who is an advocate working in conjunction with the uh, product owner instead of being oppositional to help the pro- product owner to be a sounding board, co- board, a collaborator in determining value. And if you determine value, then you've got your priorities. So the BA must negotiate fiercely and fairly while building that valued relationship, but keep focusing on optimizing value. And if the PO doesn't listen, you can red rum them. Red rum. Could be. <laughs> that was really good. I think the one of the problems I see is sometimes the product owner doesn't have the best intentions. They're a change agent, so they're not necessarily going to be all about the users and all about the people who are using the system. But like you said, the BA is that way. Right. All right. So it looks like here, Rob, you got a lot of cool answers to this next mm-hmm. question. So let's dig into that. Question number three. 
Sometimes I think the difference between a requirement document and a bunch of user stories can be like Jack's 100-page book. We all remember the book. If you've seen the movie recently, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Written thousands of times. The same as it has been sold as a requirement within the concept of a user story. So is that kind of similar? I'm not sure. It's kind of interesting, though. Do you have any horror stories around poorly done user stories? How are they or how they can use user stories to compare that to a requirements document? In the, uh, in the movie, Jack gives Wendy, his wife, a hard time when she comes to talk to him while he's typing his book. And he says, I just want to finish my work. Whenever you come in here, you are distracting me and will take me time to get back to where I was. Doesn't he use a nasty word, too? Well, I'm trying to make this family friendly. That's so. right, exactly. We gotta keep it clean. I got yelled at last time for using that button. Okay, you know, so button. <laughs> keep going. Okay. So the nice thing about the user story approach is that everything is so sort of chunkified into bits and pieces by the user stories. So initially, crafting like chunky peanut butter. Yeah, some people like creamy, but chunky. Yeah, you like chunky for user stories. Yeah. So. Ooh. Crafting a good story alone requires a lot less concentration than creating an extensive requirements documentation. But, of course, you need acceptance criteria to flesh out that user story. Uh, but there are a few guidelines for writing good stories. So, so user thing, stories are good for people with ADD. Right, right. You can jump from story to story as long as you flesh it out. So, of course, focus on the values I mentioned earlier to to convey as much info as possible to the reader. So a not-so-good user story might be, as a manager, I want the system to be stable to satisfy our customers. It doesn't really tell you enough. So instead, maybe, as a manager, I want the system to be stable so that our online customers can order products 24-7. So now that better explains the value of a stable system. Another guideline is focusing on the what versus the how, just as you should when writing functional requirements. So you explain what the intent is without laying out your imagined way to do something, thereby poisoning developers' view of possible ways of implementing the what. So, for example, a good what might be, as a customer, I want the system to provide an array of options regarding a product so that I can customize my order. So that conveys the what. A poisoned version of this might be, as a customer, I want a drop-down of customizations that I can click on, and it will continue to amass my choices until I click Done so I can customize my order. So now you're laying out the way development you're thinking it should be, which may not be the best way, and you've already poisoned everybody by unveiling your thoughts. What kind of poison? Hemlock? Cyanide, whatever's available. Okay, good. Okay, so one more tip is to write some colorful personas before starting. I like colorful. Yeah. So like coloring you, therapy. My therapist has me doing coloring therapy. Well, I'm sure that's a very long process in your case. But it is. If, um, if you just write a persona for a generic customer, then you're assuming that pretty much everyone else is blended into that one type of person. You know, a person who wants to buy something, let's say, if you have a, a site that's uh, selling stuff. But let's, let's say you had a reservation site, 
And uh, one of your personas might be describing uh, a millennial. <laughs> so millennial is going to be using lots of social media, primarily accesses the Internet by smartphone and that sort of thing. And even the kind of places they're looking for is going to be different for that kind of customer for a travel reservation site than for, let's say, a senior citizen who wants to travel whose PC skills might be limited. Maybe their visual acuity is not so good. And maybe they're not, they don't like using text capabilities. So you can't text them uh, statuses or anything like that on their cell phones. Yeah, the jitterbug doesn't have texting capability, I don't think. Right, exactly. That's, that's my point exactly. So okay. writing these colorful personas makes you think about the various types of customers you actually have so you can design whatever you're going to design to meet this variety rather than a blended millennial and senior citizen as one generic customer. That would be very interesting. That's actually good. Father, good data there on user stories, brother. Thank you very much. Let's jump into question number four. Good old Danny, riding his little, little like big wheel around. He had the Shining, so he had that ESP stuff going on. So he knows what is going to happen, and he knew that there were reasons to be concerned. Daddy's going to kill me. Daddy's going to kill me. BA professionals do a lot of out-of-project work, meaning they do analysis before the project starts. So in some ways, that out-of-project work gives the BA some type of Shining capabilities. They, hey, they understand what the rationales were for the product, project, why they were doing it, what some of the issues are. How can you use that information to ensure all things are, are covered based on the overall context of the project? Because a lot of times when you do this iterative work, you're just kind of working on the same thing. So you see the trees, but you don't see the forest. But the, but the project, but the BA can kind of see the forest. Can the backlog be a tool for this? Any horror stories to share with us from an agile team that got too iterative focused and didn't see the forest? They saw those lovely trees. Well, the BA working with the team has got to keep seeing the whole all the time. Know the context in which a, a set of user stories or a sprint fall into delivering that whole. It's getting carried away on some particular cool feature that might, maybe by itself, might be really cool, but it doesn't really move us toward the overall intent of the project. So this isn't a shining example, but uh, as far as getting focused on the wrong thing, even though I fly fairly often uh, delivering training, I am still fascinated by reading about um, airline crashes from the past. Because That's like totally morbid, dude. Morbid. Well, the thing is, is what you realize is that we have come so far by every time there's a crash, they investigate what happened and they, they fix that. They don't say, yeah, but that's not going to fix the wing falling off or yeah, that's not going to fix. They, they keep whittling away at it. So now flying is super, super safe. So anyway, um, there's one story I read about where um, the flight crew became enamored with a um, light on the dash that indicated that maybe the nose wheel hadn't locked into place while they were coming into a landing at night. Or maybe it was a faulty light. They, they were trying to figure this out. So the two pilots and the flight engineer got involved with solving this during the descent to the runway. This must have been like an old DC-10 that had the three, or the Boeing 727s with the three pilots. Yeah, yeah, this is a couple old. of decades ago. Yeah, this is old. Yeah, but like still... <laughs> Thank you. Keep going. So, so the thing is, when the pilot was, pilot was leaning forward or over to look at something, he accidentally disengaged the autopilot. Oops! 
Nobody was looking out the cockpit windows because they knew the autopilot was bringing them down toward the runway and they only needed to pay attention at the very last minute. So while they were working on the light, the plane started to slow to descent much short of the runway in Florida. And the last words of the pilot was when he looked up, hey, what's happening here? And then, bam, they slammed into the Everglades. Oh, gosh. So the reality is, is they were looking at the tree and not the forest. Exactly. So you got to keep keep an eye out of the yeah, bigger picture. Do. I don't like the Everglades. Too many alligators. Exactly. All right. Let's hit the last question of this podcast today. So we got to talk about Scatman Crothers, Hong Kong Fui the whole bit. So Scatman, I love him, but his role in this movie is weird and is haphazard and strange. He teaches Danny he has a shining. Great. Gets a call from help from Danny. Does a ton of work to get to the get to the hotel. Fly, trains, planes, automobiles. He walks into the hotel and Jack chops him right in the belly. Sorry, I just spoiled it for anybody who hasn't seen it. Is, I think sometimes that's kind of the way a BA feels on an agile team. What is the role of a BA on an agile team? You do all this work and you get chopped in the belly because somebody says you don't need to be needed. How can a BA keep from being chopped out of the project? Well, going back to the idea that the best person on an Agile team should step up and do whatever needs to be done, whether it's coding, testing, whatever. So who better to write user stories and acceptance criteria than the BA? Even if you forget, you're supposed to forget job titles and duties. Honestly, the acceptance criteria is so similar to the steps in a use case. It's just written in a different format. And the steps in a use case are like functional requirements, just written in a different format. So in a way, the more things change, the more they remain the same. I mean, Agile has got, it's so far ahead of Waterfall, it's, it's got a lot of great things going for it, but just it still boils down to what do you want to do and how do we know when it's done? So Agile slices those efforts into thin slices, and the acceptance criteria for a particular story are more like dot points. But still, the acceptance criteria needs to be unambiguous, testable, design independent, just as you would with functional requirements. So to be successful as a BA on an Agile team, you need to be a good facilitator, a concise communicator, open-minded, adaptable, live the concept, customer first, negotiate on value for the customer, get embedded in the project early, build those relationships and, of course, become an expert in soft skills. And, as I've said before, focus on optimizing value. The next podcast will be How to Create the Perfect BA by Rob. Okay. That was actually really good. So yeah. I'm going to try something new today, Rob. This is what I'm going to say to the audience. The first right. person who emails me at dmantica, D-M-A-N-T-I-C-A, at A-S-P-E-I-N-C dot com, We'll get a free class. So, Rob, I'm going to test to see if anybody listens to us this long. Dmantica, ASPinc.com, will get a free class in my autograph. Rob, you wow. did a great job today, brother. I'm going to keep you on Thank again, you. I think. Okay. I'm glad I've been extended a little bit longer now. Yeah, you got your contract extended for 15 minutes. All right. <laughs> so, see if I can do the commercial right. we got to change the commercial. If you would like to learn more about solutions, tools, and techniques for successful business analysis in a very convenient setting, which would be basically your house or your office, visit our website at www.aspetraining.com, which is new, for information on the BA 
the Business Analysis, a.k.a. BA Masterclass, which is a series that covers 20 critical topics that today's BAs need to know about. I did it. I did it right. Yay. Thank you. So okay. thank you again for listening. My name is David Manica. This has been an episode of BA Horror Stories with Roberto Rob Snowden. No more red rum for you, Rob. Tune in next time for another lesson in the strange dimension of business analysis. 